try to create a throwing lane. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here, and this is Eurofolk Radio, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And tonight's topic is going to be a document by Willie Martin about Beast of the Field and Beast of the Earth. And this is going to be a prelude to my shows. I'm probably going to be doing several shows on the dispute that I had with William Fink about the true interpretation of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so before we can even do that, there has to be a, how should I put this, a standard of what are these words meaning? What do they mean? What does the word or the expression, beast of the field, what does that, what does that expression mean? Now we have, two different words in the Hebrew that are translated as beast. One is behema, and the other is hava, or che. That's an anglicized version of the Hebrew hava. Uh, But that also is the source word for the word eve. And probably Ava Gardner is someone who has the correct or the closest pronunciation to Hava as a personal name. So Eve is a permutation of Hava, which is the actual name of Eve in the garden, but it's also with the Garuch, Hava is the word for life. It is the word for life. So when you have a combination like Hava, of life, hava of the earth, or beast of the earth, we're simply talking about a living being. It has no specific, the, the word beast in that expression has no specific meaning as relative to a two-legged beast, four-legged beast, a creepy crawler beast, etc. And this is one of the defects of the King James Version, and most biblical versions is I'm sure they didn't do the kind of word studies we're going to be doing today by Willie Martin. By the way, Willie Martin is a great identity teacher from Texas, but uh, he died around 2003, 2004. So he's not with us anymore. It would be wonderful to have uh, someone like that on, on the air with us as a guest, but we can't do that anymore. And the same thing goes for the expression beast of the field. Beast of the field has also its source words as behema and che. So these two words and these expressions, beast of the earth and beast of the field, often refer to two-legged beasts. That is the subject of today's talk, and we're going to go right into it here. This is Beast of the Earth by Willie Martin, and it is entitled, The Beast of the Earth Was Slash Is Not an Animal. Well, actually, 
I know what he means by that, but we humans are also animals. <laughs> We're land, uh, land walking, air breathing animals, and that's typically what the word che in the first three, four chapters of Genesis is talking about, and also what the word behema is talking about in later chapters of Scripture. Because Adam and Eve were also animals. We are animals, although we like don't think of ourselves as animals, but we are certainly animals in the sense of land-walking, air-breathing creatures. So, but we know what he means is they're not human or not Adamite, okay? So, now, this document is redundant in many respects. Part one is, most of part one is actually included in part two. So, I'm just going to skip right to part two because a lot of the argument is reproduced in part two. So, here we go. The beast of the earth was, is not an animal, part two. This presentation, oh, let me just quickly state, he does mention Howard B. Rand. Howard B. Rand of Destiny Publications was a, a tremendous identity scholar. He believed in racial segregation and it was the oh, author of many books, many, many books on scripture and prophecy interpretation. In fact, his specialty was the interpretation of prophecy. He did a book called Study in Daniel, Study in Revelation, uh, Study in uh, Isaiah, etc., etc. So he did really extensive research and based on the word studies or the meanings of the words in the Old and New Testament, which is what you have to do in order to get a, a real handle on what in the world is being talked about here. So he mentions Howard B. Rand here, and he says, this presentation is based on a study by the late Pastor Howard B. Rand, Destiny Publications, POB 177, Merrimack, Massachusetts, 01860-0177, and I'm sure that this organization still exists, but it only exists in the sense of selling books and booklets. So, and there should be a, a website for it as well. It's been a really long time since I've visited their website. But all of those publications that I just mentioned, like Study in Revelation, and I highly recommend his book, Study in Revelation, which is probably the best uh, analysis of biblical prophecy on the book of Revelation ever written, probably the best. And uh, But he... he he stops short of the the very latest chapters of the book of Revelation. I don't know whether he uh, died or just lost interest, but or maybe he couldn't figure it out. But he had great difficulty determining the uh, realization, fulfillment of the prophecies of the last three, four chapters of Revelation, including 17, 18, 19, and 20, uh, where... Uh, you know, he did such tremendous research on the first 16, 17 chapters of Revelation. And I think his interpretation is the most correct of any leading up to the seventh and eighth beasts of Revelation. So let's continue here. And his his study was called 
in the image of God. And continuing with Willie Martin, I usually show the credits on a presentation at the end, but because some have criticized me so much about putting the credits at the beginning that I have relented just this once and put it at the beginning. I suspect that the reason they want the credits at the beginning is because they want to know if they want to read it or not, okay? So who are you uh, basing your study on? And a lot of people don't realize what a great identity identity author Howard B. Rand was. As I said, he was a diehard racial segregationist. He was a diehard believer in the Israel message, the exclusivity of the Israel people, etc., etc. He was one of the best and most fervent, uh, you know, and plus he was Jew savvy. <laughs> All right, what more can you want? All right, so let's continue. And so that may be the reason uh, that uh, Howard B. Rand didn't finish that book, Studying Revelation, uh, but he uh, he is, uh, Rand is very prolific and has lots and lots of booklets, pamphlets, and books. Okay, so let's continue. Some uh, have pr- written some pretty nasty notes about what I present, and some are, cons- but, uh, well, let me just say right here that Willie Martin was a two-seed liner. That he that means he believed that Cain Cain's father was not Adam, but probably one of the fallen angels. Certainly not Adam. He was a two seed liner, and uh, from that perspective, he he must get a lot of hate mail because the two seed liner, even within identity, the two branches of identity are seed liners and non seed liners. The non-seed liners and the seed liners have always had bad blood between them. And uh, I've been doing my best to try to minimize that and get the two groups to see eye to eye on certain things. But it's been a real struggle. (laughs) That's been a real struggle. What I've found is that the non-seed liners just don't want to hear it. And it's very hard to get an open forum where seed liners and non-seed liners can hash it out before an audience or even at a at an interview like on the on the air very very difficult uh, both positions uh, both sides are very staunch in their positions but there's very little dialogue between these two groups and I can uh, vouch for this this is after 20 years of trying <laughs> to get uh, seed liners and non-seed liners together on the same platform to hash out the, the book uh, of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Now, I did make an attempt uh, about a month ago with a telegram group headed by Dustin, and that was a very difficult discussion. And uh, I think I got some points in and Dustin got some good points in, but that needs to really be continued uh, with more specificity if we could do that. In any case, he says, while I was growing up, I helped my dad with the farm work and the ranch work when we lived on a ranch. And I helped my granddad farm his farm and and helped him with building buildings when he built one. They impressed me from the beginning, I, I think he's talking about the buildings, that when someone gives you a job to do, do it the best of your ability Otherwise, you are not worth your hire. If you agree to work for $1 an hour, then give that employer the very best you can, and especially as much as you would do for $100. 
because if you agree to one price, then I must work just as hard for the dollars as I would for the hundred. This I had. This is based on a parable of Yahshua Messiah, actually. This I have done all my life. I may not be the best at the particular job that I hired out to do, but I did it the very best I could. So he can talk, uh, continues on this vein. So uh, I'll, I'll skip the next paragraph. So in doing the very best that I can for my boss, who happens to be Yahshua, <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ, and if in doing that I offend, I offend some, then so be it. Get as angry as you wish and curse me as much as you wish, but I will present what Yahweh gives me, and if that makes you angry with me, then that is just too bad. Live with it. There will be many who read this and will not accept it because they don't want to be confused with facts and because this is not what is commonly taught in Judeo-Christian churches in America by the Baal priests in the pulpits. Okay, so what is he going to be teaching? He's going to be teaching about the beast of the earth, and the beast of the field, that there are, in fact, in Scripture, two-legged beasts. Two-legged beasts. And this is very important. We find them in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and many other places. And if you're not understanding that some of these beasts are, in fact, two-legged beasts, then you will not understand what those chapters of Genesis are actually saying. The distinctions being made and how to discriminate between, for example, Adamites and other races mentioned in Genesis chapter 1 that are two-legged but are not Adamites. Okay, very important for you to understand that there are two-legged beasts who are not Adamites. Okay, so he continues. Uh, these pe- oh, these people will swear that every word in the Bible is true and that the Bible is infallible. But when a scripture comes along that they don't agree with, they will simply back up and say, I don't believe that. That is not the proper interpretation. Or like they try to spiritualize everything. The non liners, when backed into a corner, will spiritualize the verses and they won't take them literally. You have heard the saying, hunt and peck, in reference to those who do not know how to type but use a typewriter anyway. Well, I call the aforementioned people hunt and pickers. They hunt the scriptures some of the time, but when one comes along they don't agree with, they simply say this interpretation is wrong. Thus denying, in effect, the sayings of Almighty God. They will tell you that the Bible is true and every word is factual, and deny that the interpreters could make a mistake in translating a word from the Greek or Hebrew to English when they know full well that their position is not tenable and completely false. For some languages do not have a word in the English equivalent to the word in that languages. Quote, you know, he started to give examples. Here we go. Quote, thou shalt not lie with mankind. And I really should open my concordance here as with womankind. So these would probably be Ish and Isha. Ish for maleness and Isha for femaleness. Remember, the Bible says male and female, he created them, right? Not 59 or 57 varieties of ketchup, 57 varieties of gender. And while I was in Missouri and Arkansas, we came up with a new word, newt, N-E-U-T, 
meaning neutral or neutered, because these 57 varieties of pronoun that the homosexual and so-called non-binary community wants to shove down our throats are typically referring to individuals, both male and female, who have been neutered, either physically by operations and or chemicals, or mentally by propaganda. They have neutered themselves by accepting false propaganda that that there are more than two genders. No, there are not more than two genders. There are two and only two genders. This is true even down into the insect world. And probably even down to, well, wherever cells divide and have to copulate to produce an offspring, which gets very very low down, uh, almost up to paramecium, which simply a cell simply divides, and becomes two, that's asexual reproduction. But wherever sexual reproduction is employed, there have never been more than two genders. Never been more than two genders. This is simply scientific fact, and that's true of the human species and certainly true of the atom kind, which is the word I prefer to talk in terms of us. All right, yeah, so, yeah, thank you, Swamp Fox. He puts uh, a link in the chat room about more Willie Martin studies. Uh, Willie Martin is one of the best two seed line identians around, okay? So let's continue. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. So that's there, obviously, homosexuality is being condemned, And boy, do we have a lot of abomination of desolation running around in the world today. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. And if a woman approach unto any beast and lie down, hold on, uh, there too, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast, they shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them. And that's Leviticus 18, 22 through 29, and Leviticus 20, verse 16. Now your imagination will probably tell you this animal is something like a dog, etc., but be honest, there is no way on earth that a woman can stand before a four-footed animal and then lie down with it like she would a man. That is simply not possible, no matter what the false teachers of the Judeo-Christian clergy tell you. So, yeah, this passage is not about bestiality. It is where the verses talk about Che, the Che type of people, and so let me see, I'm just opening Esau now, because it's, since he doesn't give the words, the Hebrew words here, I think it's really important that we do indeed find the Hebrew words for these for these statements. And so we have here Leviticus 18, 22 through 29. So I'll open my Esau to those passages. Leviticus 18, 
22 through 29. Okay, and I have to turn on the concordance. And it states, and all of these, well, not all of these passages are about sexual sin, but uh, close to it. Uh, I'll start with Leviticus 18.19. Also thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she put apart as she is put apart for her uncleanness. This is talking about menstruation. Verse 20. Moreover thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. So that's an abomination too. Verse 21. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire that is offspring, thy children, offspring, pass through the fire to Moloch. You should not sacrifice your offspring to Moloch, which was very common for the ten northern tribes to do it very often by the southern two tribes who were guilty of this sin as well. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, that is Yahweh, I am Yahweh. Verse 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind, and mankind is zakhar, from the properly remembered, that is male, of man or animals. Okay. Now this includes animals. As well. It's not isha, it's zakhar. As with womankind, uh, ish, isha. Yeah, that's womankind, Isha, as contrasted with Ish. Ish is always male of any species, and Isha is female of any species, and it has a related word, Nashim. So, thou shalt, obviously this is an injunction against homosexuality, but it may also be an injunction against bestiality as well. Let's continue. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast, okay? Beast is behema, to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast, again, behema, to lie down there too. It is confusion, that is mixture. Okay, now very interestingly, the fact that it uses the word confusion here suggests that it is a humanoid because there's no such thing as a human-slash-four-footed-beast hybrid. If there is, it is one in a billion. It's extremely rare. So confusion here is talking about mixture that is hybridization. And we know that it's easy to hybridize you know, whites with blacks, whites with Mexicans, whites with uh, uh, Orientals, and, and those other groups can mix with each other and produce hybrids. So here, clearly, Leviticus 18.23 is talking about hybridization, which is only possible among humanoids. Verse 24 Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these things the nations are defiled, (laughs) which I cast out before you. So Yahweh is telling Israel here that the Canaanites 
are guilty of these things, and certainly the Edomites as well. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity there upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Now, is he talking about animals? Let's see what the word inhabitants is. It's yashab, a primitive root properly to sit down. And there are some animals that can sit down, <laughs> but uh, not the way humans sit down, right? What they usually do is, uh, what's the word? Is there a word for it? When you sit on your haunches, you know, where you're, uh, you sit down with your knees up in the air like animals do, like horses and donkeys and cats and dogs do. That's a completely different way of sitting from the way humans sit. Although I think we can imitate that, but it's very rare for humans to sit in that way. All right. So here it says, by implication, hold on, it just disappeared off my screen. Here it is. By implication, to dwell, to remain, to settle, to marry. So you don't marry your dog, you don't marry your cat, you don't marry your horse. Although these days, <laughs> these days, that may be a consideration. Okay? So in this, in this word, there is no indication of marrying or that these inhabitants are non-humanoid. Non-humanoid for our four-footed beasts. Okay? Verse 26. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations neither any of your own nation nor any stranger. That stranger is Ger, which is a stranger of our own race that sojourneth among you. And he mentions verse 29, so I'll just continue with the final three, verse 27. For all these abominations have the males, that is the Ish, the men of the land, age 77, 6, Eretz, which does not mean planet, it simply means the territory. All of the men of the land, the males of the land have done these things. Again, he's talking about the Canaanites that the Israelites were supposed to either dispossess or destroy, which were done before you and the land is defiled. Now, it's quite possible that these Canaanites did defile the land with uh, bestiality, but the word that we just looked at uh, did not include bestiality in the definition. So that's very interesting. Verse 29. For whosoever shall commit any of those abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. So we're talking about, this, I think Yahweh is saying that he's going to punish humanoids who engage in these sins as severely as Israelites who engage in these sins, okay? So this Levitical chapter 18 is about uh, us Israelites not imitating the behavior of Canaanites, Edomites, etc. So let's get back to the document at hand, Willie Martin's discussion here. And then uh, I won't bother going to Leviticus 12, although he says Leviticus 20.16, so that's just one verse Let's look at Leviticus 20.16 as well and see what that says. 
And if a woman approach unto any beast, again, that's Behemoth, and lie down there too, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast. And woman here is Isha again. Isha is the female of virtually any species. But we're talking about a violation of the law here. And obviously, animals don't violate Yahweh's laws, right? Four-footed beasts don't violate his laws. And if, well, here, let me me quote the previous verse here as well. Verse 15, and if a man, that's Ish, lie with a beast, Behema, he shall surely be put to death, and ye shall slay the beast. I don't know about the laws of bestiality in other nations. Uh, I don't know if they if they put the the beast to death as well, if it's a four-footed beast. Verse 20, 16, And if a woman, Isha, approach unto any beast, Behema, and lie down there too, thou shalt kill the woman and the beast, they shall surely be put to death, and their blood shall be upon them. So this is talking about blood guilt. So surely a four-footed beast cannot be considered to be guilty of a blood sin because only they don't have the free will to behave to violate Yahweh's laws. So I would agree with, with Willie Martin here that this is talking about two-legged beasts, not four-legged beasts. So there'll be some more obvious examples as we go through this document. So let's continue. All right, so now your imagination will probably tell you what this animal, that this animal is something like a dog, etc. But be honest, there is no way on earth that a woman can stand before a four-footed animal and then lie down with it like she would a man. And then he's, uh, okay, now, oh, yeah, he just quoted Leviticus 20.15, which I just quoted. So let's continue with the article here. Leviticus 20.15. Okay, the same thing can be said for a man. There is no way possible that a man can lie with an animal like he does with a woman. That is simply not possible. No matter what the false Judeo-Christian clergy tell you, you will notice that Yahweh says to kill both man, woman, and beast for these abominations. God does not kill people just to be killing them. He does not do so he does so because they violate his laws, statutes, and ordinances. And I'm not aware that Yahweh kills four-legged beasts for violating his law because they can't. <laughs> they don't have the free will to whether or not they engage in bestiality with a humanoid is another question, but surely he does not prosecute them according to his laws and statutes, because they're not capable of obeying those laws and statutes. Okay, so he says, We find in Leviticus a beast bringing an offering to the Lord, and what four-footed beast would be capable of even knowing to bring an offering to the Lord? Quote, And if it be a beast, 
whereof men bring an offering unto the Lord, all that any man giveth of such unto Yahweh shall be holy. Okay, and we know from Jonah chapter 3, uh, around verse 8, there are two-legged beasts being talked about that have hands and feet, have vocal cords, and can pray. So here we see Leviticus chapter 27. And let me see what the Hebrew word is here. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 28, this is the last chapter of Leviticus. And it says... Notwithstanding, no devoted thing that a man that is male shall devote unto Yahweh of all that he hath, both of man, and here it's 120, meaning Adam, and beast, Behema, and of the field of his possession shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy or dedicated unto Yahweh. None devoted which shall be devoted of men, that is, of Adamites, shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. Okay, so if you sacrifice, uh, I think this is a condemnation of sacrificing human beings here, (laughs) or, or Adamites, but obviously we can't sacrifice any two legged beasts, including ourselves. Okay, so let's get back to. The document here. Now we find that the firstborn of the beast is Yahweh's, because all the firstborn are mine. For on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. Mine shall they be, I am Yahweh. And that's Numbers 3.13 and 8.17. We know that all the animals on earth are the Lord's, and therefore all of their seed belong to Yahweh. So it's very obvious that the scriptures are not talking about an animal here, but to something called a beast that can perform the same as a man. Quote, Who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. Psalm 135. Let's take a look at Psalm 135, verse 8, and see how that reads. Psalm 135, verse 8. Let me back up to the uh, previous verses here and see if we can get uh, a better understanding. 135, verse 8. Hold on a second. Let me back up to verse 5, Psalm 135, verse 5. For I know that Yahweh is great and that our Lord, that is Adon, Adonai, that our Lord Adonai is above all gods, and that is Elohim. Whatsoever Yahweh pleased that did he in heaven, and in earth, in the seas, and all the deep places. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries, who smote the firstborn of Edom, both of man, and that's Adam, 120, 
and beasts. Again, we have here behemoth. Okay. Now, this is an interesting definition here. From an unused root, probably meaning to be mute, but that's a probably, that's not a for sure. Properly a dumb beast, especially any large quadruped or animal often collected. Beast, cattle. So it says especially, so that does not rule out two-legged beasts. The definition here does not rule out two-legged beasts. So let's continue. And I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and in fury and in great wrath. And I will smite the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. That's Jeremiah 21, verses 5 through 6. Here we have beasts as inhabitants of a city. What city has herds of cattle, her horses or camels in them? They might have a single or perhaps two cows or horses or camels for riding purposes or to provide milk for themselves and their children. We also have God saying that he would fight against both man and beast. What beast would would God be fighting? Dogs, maybe? But dogs, cows, horses, camels, etc. cannot fight, nor would they fight an enemy like a man or like an Adamite, so that they would have to be slain to stop them. Animals would simply stampede during a battle and run away, not fight. Or certainly in these days where we have weapons that uh, we can easily kill four-legged beasts. Furthermore, what pestilence would kill both man and beast? For Oh, COVID. <laughs> COVID, of course. For the two are not ordinarily receptive of the same diseases. No, these quote-unquote beasts were human-like and would succumb to the same diseases and uh, same urges, biological urges. Let's put it that way. Quote, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Here's Jonah 3.8. Here we have animals crying mightily to God for forgiveness. They have hands and they have the capability of to turn from their evil ways. There are no animals in existence who cry out to Almighty God, nor do any of them have hands, nor can they change their actions, nor do they have any sins because they have never received the laws of God to ask for forgiveness. Now that brings up an interesting point. If non-Israelites of different races live among us, well, for example, slaves in the antebellum South, well, they would have taught those slaves the law of the land and probably also the law of the Bible that they should not kill, should not steal, etc., etc. You can't teach that to an animal. Although uh, I know dogs can have a, uh, a guilty look on their faces when, when they eat something they shouldn't, but there's no way that you can prevent four-legged beasts from just being the animals that they are. If they're hungry, they will eat the food that they're used to eating. And they, you, know, you can punish them, but who knows if that's going to do any good. So here in Jonah 3.8, we're clearly talking about beasts that are capable of wearing sackcloth, have hands and feet, 
and are even capable of praying to a god, whatever, however they could conceive of God. And let me quote this again here. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. So we're talking about both man and beast are capable of crying mightily unto Elohim. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hand. That again is Jonah 3.8. Here he gives a definition of beast. Figurative. In a figurative or symbolical sense, and by the way, even as uh, late as a couple of centuries of, ago, whites used to refer to non-whites as beasts of burden for the jobs that we hire them for. Okay, so that's not a stretch of the imagination. But let's continue. Beast, in a figurative or symbolical sense, the term frequently occurs in Scripture and generally refers to the sensual and groveling or ferocious and brutal natures properly belonging properly belonging to the brute creation. Well, are there any two-legged races considered to be part of the brute creation? The psalmist speaks of himself as being like a beast before God, but not actually being a beast, while giving way to merely sensuous considerations. That's Psalm 73.22. The word is sometimes used figuratively of brutal men, Hence the phrase, I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, 1 Corinthians 15.32 and Acts 19.29. Now, Acts 19.29 is a figurative description of a fight with strong and exasperated enemies. For a similar use of the word, see Ecclesiastes 3.18, 2 Peter 2.12, and Jude 10. A wild beast is a symbol of a selfish... Sorry, I clicked on the wrong button here. A wild beast, a symbol of a selfish, tyrannical monarchy. The four beasts in Daniel 7, 3, 17, and 23 represent four kingdoms. So yeah, there's these figurative uses, but we're only concerned with the literal uses here. Uh, obviously, I think the point is by, by Willie Martin here is well taken that concerning Adamites, Concerning Adamites, the term beast, whether behemoth or che, can be figurative of our bad behavior. But as I said earlier, we are in fact animals, air-breathing, land-walking animals. And so from that sense, we are che. There is no sense, there is no uh, confusion there. But behemoth... I don't think, behemoth is not such a broadly defined word as che. The word che simply means living, alive, but especially land-breathing animals as used in chapters Genesis 1 and 2. So let's continue with this. uh, And here again, we have to make these distinctions to find out, well, what is the Bible really talking about? And we see here, If a man, oh, sorry, uh, the uh, the article scrolled up without me intending to. 
So let's continue. The four beasts, living creatures, not their red beast in the strict sense. Uh, okay, from Unger's Bible Dictionary, originally published by Moody Press of Chicago, Illinois. All right, let's uh, dispense with the figurative. And Okay, so uh, I'll go to the third last paragraph of part two of the document we're reading from. The scripture state, And out of the ground Yahweh God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof, and Adam, or Adam, gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him, Genesis 2.19. The Jews teach in the Talmud that Adam had sex with all the animals and that then they were not found to be fit to be a mate for Adam. Surely you are not deceived enough to believe this or that God looked at all the animals, cattle, horses, camels, etc., looking for a mate for Adam. Of course not. That is totally stupid. For a man cannot mate with any of the animals, and certainly they, we don't produce hybrids with four-legged beasts. Not even the monkeys, which the atheists and antichrist would have you believe so very badly. No, it is obvious that there were other races before Adam, and it was among them that God looked for Adam for a mate. Yes, it is obvious, says Willie Martin, that there were pre-Adamites, and in my opinion, both uh, white pre-Adamites before the formation of Adam. And we're going to get into a discussion of the two Hebrew words, bara, meaning to create, and yatsar, meaning to form. Bara means to uh, create something brand new, and bara means to form or shape something that already exists. And you will find that in Genesis chapter 1, you have the word bara, but not the word Yatsar. In Genesis chapter 2, you have the word Yatsar, which means to form. So the distinction between those two words is highly significant in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. So let's continue with part 3 with about 15 minutes left. And let's see if we can dispense with... uh, I'm looking for examples of words, word studies that uh, give us a difference between a beast of the field, beast of the earth, versus Adamites, versus Adamites. And this chapter doesn't seem to address that. Let's go to chapter 4, or part 4. Again, the document is entitled, The Beast of the Earth Was Slash Is Not an Animal, part 4 now. Exodus 23, 10 and 11, And six years shalt thou sow thy land, and shalt gather in the fruits thereof, but the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still, that the poor of thy people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt deal thy vineyard and with thy olive yard. Okay, so reading this, I don't think Yahweh is saying, let your four-legged animals <laughs> go into your field and eat what's left. You, you don't want four-legged beasts in your in your fields that you have cultivated. They might destroy the very plants that. So, what typically, if you want to feed a horse an apple, you will pluck an apple, 
and give the horse that apple, either by hand or by putting it in a bucket, I don't think any farmers or ranchers will allow their horses to just roam through their apple orchard and eat all the apples off the trees. And I think this is the point that Willie Martin is making here. If wild or even domesticated animals were beasts of the field, just picture what would happen to your gardens and vineyards. Note the distinction God makes here between the poor of thy people and the beasts of the field. The poor of thy people shall eat first. Now, if you allowed four-legged beasts into your garden or field or orchard, they would just storm through there and take <laughs> take whatever they want, okay? Exodus 9, 9, quote, And it shall become small dust in the, all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blades upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And his comment here is, You can be sure God was not punishing four-legged beasts by afflicting them with boils. And I'm wondering if there is such a, do cows, for example, get boils similar to humans? Leviticus 20, 15-16. I think we just, yeah, we discussed this already. And if a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death. So we covered that already. Exodus 19, 13. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. All right, this one, in my opinion, is definitive. Because it is saying that whatever, whether it's a a man or a beast, it, it has a hand. So let me go uh, to Exodus. No, we discussed Leviticus 19.13 earlier, but this is Exodus 19.13. So let me go there. I want to verify this. It's an extremely important verse here. Exodus 19.13. I hope he's got the right, <laughs> the right verse here, right chapter and verse. Exodus 19. 13. Yes, that's what it says. Let me back up to verse 12. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death, although it doesn't distinguish between beasts and Adamites here, but 1913 certainly does. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast, that's behemoth, or man, and that is ish. It shall not live, and when the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Okay, but that's not Adam. I'm sure there's passages where man is translated from Adam. Okay, so let's get back to Willie Martin's article here. So that was Exodus 19.13. Now we have a beast with a hand, he says. Do you believe God told Moses to talk to the camels, donkeys, cattle, and tell them not to touch the mount? Jeremiah 21.6. And I will smite the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast. 
they shall die of a great pestilence. Would God refer to a four-legged beast as an inhabitant of a city? Jeremiah 27.6 And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. The Negro race has always been used as servants. Jeremiah 31.27-30 The seed of man with the seed of beast, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity, how can an animal die for his sins and iniquity? No, four-legged beasts don't have free will so that they can't be accused of sin. They cannot because they do not know God's law, so they cannot sin. Thank you very much. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. Quote, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know Yahweh, for they shall all know me. That's a, that is a prophecy here. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. Of course, this applies only to Israelites. In fact, the non-white races are not included in these uh, admonitions either because the law was only given to Israel. Uh, And he says here, it would appear this very verse pretty well takes care of the liberal so-called brotherhood program. Ezekiel 14:15 quote If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it be desolate that no man may pass through because of the beasts only two-legged beasts could stop man from passing through the land he says And we have a few more verses here I think we have enough time to get through most of this Ezekiel 29:11 No foot of man shall pass through it, nor foot of beast shall pass through it, neither shall it be inhabited forty years. Okay, Ezekiel 29.11. Now, a lot of people will say, well, monkeys have feet. Actually, they do not. They have hands uh, on the ends of their arms, but at the ends of their lower limbs, they have prehensile hands. They have prehensile thumbs that act more like hands than feet. And this is the reason why monkeys and gorillas, etc., cannot run for, for very long because they don't have feet. They have hands with thumbs at their bottom appendages, not feet. Let's continue. He says, animals have hoofs or paws, but in the case of monkeys, they have prehensile hands, is what they actually are. And they can grapple or grab limbs of trees and hang from all fours (laughs) from a tree. Okay. All right. Jonah and Jonah 378. We're running out of time. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Now, this is a good verse because it distinguishes the beast from herd and flock. And you don't dress your flocks unless maybe you're putting them in a parade, (laughs) right? And of course, they cannot, uh, you know, 
speak unto or cry mightily unto God. So let me cover, read the whole verse. This is Jonah 3, 7, and 8. Quote, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. So it's clearly saying that the beast is able to also know the difference between man and uh, right and wrong and violence and nonviolence. Okay, four-footed beasts, uh, when they eat, especially carnivores, when they hunt, they are full of violence. And there's no way you can... Uh, you, you, there's no way you can train a four-footed beast to re- refrain from violence when they're when they're hunting. There's just no way. Okay, they will they will not uh, submit to starvation. <laughs> you will have to beat them to prevent them from eating their prey. Okay, uh, Jude. Oh, sorry, uh, Zechariah eight ten. For before these days there was no hire for man nor any hire for beast. And those are probably all behemoth. Here we have beasts that can be hired. If these are four-legged beasts that can be hired, someone should alert the internal revenue. (laughs) All right. Yeah. But even those two-legged beasts of the Negro and uh, other species very rarely pay taxes. Acts 10.12, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and foul fowls of the air. So here it's uh, conditioned by the word four-footed. Note the distinction here between four-footed beasts and wild beasts. Second Peter 2.12, but these as natural brute beasts made to, made to be taken and destroyed... Speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. So here the word beast is being used of people who can say evil things. So, and that's his comment here. Here we have brute beasts speaking in a language that a man can understand. And a couple more here. We're almost at the end. Jude one four for there are certain men crept into wares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This refers to the Jews who are deluding the Negro by promising them things they can never achieve in order to destroy the white race through miscegenation. Very good. Okay, so... Uh, I leave the rest of it to you. Uh, part five is, is a, another link. So uh, uh, please continue with part five at your leisure. And next week we will start uh, analyzing my dispute between uh, William, well, myself and William Fink as to the proper interpretation of the word beast in Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. Talk to you all later. Bye-bye.